All right. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We are so glad you have come to join in with us today to talk about all things that God is doing in these days. It's a good time to be serving God. It's a good time to be living for God. It is early to mid-August, and boy, is it hot outside here in North Carolina. There is condensation on the windows, your glasses fog up when you get out of the car, air condition is blessed. I am a cold weather man, I'm not a hot weather man, so we endure these times. I have some of the good brethren here at the church who, <laughs> they kid me and they, they talk about how they're praying against the cold weather. And I don't think that's of God in any way, shape, or form. I think God likes the cool weather, but that's just me, what can I say? We're glad you're here. We're glad you've um, decided to join in with us. Um, a couple things I wanted to mention to you today. We have some good things coming up here in the next few months. One thing I wanted to bring to your attention is we have our East Coast Conference coming up. It is October 26th through the 30th. 26th to the 28th is the English East Coast services, and then 29th and 30th is Spanish East Coast and we have a great lineup of preachers that are coming from all over the country. It will be uh, anointed, world-class preaching and ministry from people who are revivalists, uh, some of them coming from Canada, some of them coming from California, um, Alabama, you know, just all over the place. It's going to be a wonderful time of fellowship. We, we hope you can join us. We want you to come out, check it out, uh, be with us. The music's going to be wonderful. We've got... Uh, Sister Joy Norris, we've got Kurt Kanai, we've got um, preachers, Brother Larry Booker, uh, Brother Daniel McKillop, um, Brother Tim Lackey, um, Brother Barry Sutton, Bishop Nathaniel Wilson. Uh, just a great, great lineup, and, and we want you to come be a part of that. It is going to be a great time. And we have many, many more. Uh, just some of the names are running from me right now. So East Coast Conference, put it on your calendar, uh, October 26th to the 30th. You'll enjoy it. Bring your family, bring your friends. It's going to be a good time. Um, <clears throat> we have received a lot of your feedback here over uh, the last week, and, and I, I try to get to some of the questions as best I'm able. Uh, there's so many uh, responses that we get. Thank you for that. We love to hear from you. We're, we're excited to hear from you. We're glad Biblos can be a blessing. Everywhere I go, people are asking about it and, and they're talking about it and it's helping them and, and it's spurring them to have conversations. It's spurring a love of the Word of God, which is what Biblos is all about. So hopefully we can inspire you to read your Bible, to love the things of God, to dig into the historical perspective, the Hebrew mindset, and find that Book of Acts mentality. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 28, one of the most powerful uh, chapters foreshadowing the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, where the Bible says that the uh, Israel, uh, the people of God, had grown corrupt. The people had lost their way. They had lost their their perspective. The priest and the prophet were out of the way through strong drink. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk drawn from the breast. 
in other words, babes. And precept would be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And if you would learn the Bible that way, if you would take the time, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, then something amazing would happen. With stammering lips and another tongue, God would speak to his people. What a wonderful foreshadowing of the Holy Ghost that God would choose that administration to speak. He would speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. And so the Holy Ghost would be our rest. It would be our Sabbath. It would be that rest we would enter into. What Jesus uh, described as rest for your soul. So we're not after the physical rest of the Old Testament. We are for the, we're looking for the spiritual rest that God gave to us. He rested on the seventh day, but God is a spirit. So that was a spiritual rest. And so we are looking for a spiritual rest, not a resting of the muscles and the, and the fatigue of the human flesh and body, but, but a rest for the soul. So God foreshadowed and, and told us the Holy Ghost would come. That's what it would be, rest and refreshing. And then he even prophesied modern skepticism when he said at the end of that verse, I think it's 12, Isaiah 28, 12, if, if I'm not mistaken, yet they would not hear. So it's going to be so radical. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to be so life-altering, yet they would not hear. So God not only prophesies the Holy Ghost, he prophesies modern skepticism to the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God knows us. He knows humanity. And in light of all of those dynamics, we want to bring some concepts to you. You, you, have, you have sent your questions in. We, we love the questions. We love the feedback that we get from you. We want to bring this Pentecostal apostolic mindset to you and help you to uh, search it out. And you're going to come to your own revelations. And, and some of you have sent those in and shared those. I do read them. I do see them. I can't respond to all of them. There's, there's not enough time in the day to respond to all of them. Maybe, maybe we'll start a Twitter account. We should probably try to do that. Start a Twitter account and try to interact a little bit. That would be cool. Let's see what we can do. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I have a Twitter account. Just go, go to N.A. Urshan at Twitter. N.A. Urshan, log on, and, and for now, we'll, we'll, we'll operate through that. Maybe we'll start a Biblos account. I don't know. But you can you know, send me a message through N.A. Urshan and get a hold of me there, and, and we'll see what we can't figure out. Um, <clears throat> so one of the questions comes from a young man named Eric. Eric asked a question. He said, would you be able to take a look at the fear of the Lord, the concept of the fear of the Lord, how, how that works, how that applies to us today. I've always wanted to know about the fear of the Lord. And it got me, it got me thinking. I began to, to feel after that idea, and it resonated with me. So Eric, we're going to take a little time and we're going to talk a little bit about the fear of the Lord because because that's something we could really use in this world we're in right now. Um, so it's, it's a biblical term, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. What does it mean? 
I can tell you at the outset what it does not mean. It does not mean an abusive, um, shrinking back, terror-filled, abusive uh, application of the word fear. That's not what is being described there. It comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, um, yira, and it means a reverence, a moral reverence, a dread, a dread, an exceeding fear. And the idea is awe. It is reverence. It is respect. It is appreciation for the things of God. God is so much higher than we are. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. <clears throat> you know, the scripture teaches us that when Esther approached Ahasuerus in, in the book of Esther, that she would come before him humbly and and trembling and and with great reverence. It was a very courageous thing because you did not just approach the king in those days. You you wouldn't have the temerity or the boldness to just brashly come before him. Um, and, and what a contrast to us when through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that now through grace, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. So that idea of boldly approaching the throne is now given to us through Jesus Christ. But they did not do that in the days of monarchs. It was a time when they could just take your life on a whim. You know, the the butler and the baker in Egypt are are sentenced to prison and one of them to death eventually. At the whim of a king, at the word of the king, John Baptist's head is brought on a charger. And, um, uh, you know, from just at the capricious whim of a woman um, who is bitter towards being rebuked by a man of God. And so monarchial concepts, you know, the, the time of kings and the, the power of kings, are, are it's a very foreign concept of people raised in a democracy, raised in a republic. Um, so this idea of fear, it is, it is a reverence, it is an awe. We should have a fear and a reverence and an awe for the things of God. Um, one writer said it this way, that it is a childlike innocence towards a father towards a mother. I can remember a time in my life where I thought my mom and dad knew everything. They were my world. If anything happened that was bad, mom and dad could fix it. Dad was the strongest man in the world. Mom had all the answers for everything. And we were completely safe with mom and dad. They took care of us. They watched over us. Um, there was always provision and it never crossed my mind that they wouldn't know the answers to things. And in that childhood innocence, you know, at the time my dad was in his twenties and I think he was 26 when he had me. And, and then, you know, through the thirties and forties to, 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 to me, that's younger than I am now. And I know how, how little power I have and how helpless we are in, in, in the context of world powers and, and the forces of this world and the natural world and with men and humanity. But back then, as a child, in that mindset, 
I had such faith. I had such confidence. Dad was going to take care of it. Mom was going to take care of it. If something happened, we would run straight to them. What a blessed time. And you'll find that a lot of people wish they could go back to that time. Back to a time that was more innocent. Now, the truth is it wasn't more innocent. Um, you know, there was, there was great trouble, great danger. There always is. Just depends on what part of the world you're in. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but in your mind, in your spirit, when you had that childlike assurance, it's like the old song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Um, that awe, keeping that reverence, is such a powerful thing to keep that looking to, that looking toward, that longing for, that a child has toward a parent, that absolute faith that everything's going to be okay. We're living in a society that tries its dead level best to strip that from you, to take it from me. They want to reduce the Bible to just uh, an irrelevant old book, an ancient text that doesn't <clears throat> mean anything. And there's armchair scholars that abound that are ready to attack the Bible, say it was just written by men. It is filled with errors. They've never seen the original text. They've never looked into the Septuagint or Masoretic text or anything like that. Uh, but, but here they are. They're ready to tear down the scripture that has stood the test of time. But, but there is a simplicity in that, a running to the things of God and to look to God in just that way. And so there is that fear of the Lord that keeps us and sustains us. If you can maintain that, <clears throat> if you can keep the fear of the Lord in your life, there is a blessing that comes with that. There's a confidence that comes with that, that will keep you, that will sustain you. I knew great men and great women that would, they believed prayer worked. They didn't follow an empty ritual, but they, they worshiped God. They poured their heart out before God. I watched my grandfather, my grandmother. I watched JT and Bessie Pugh. I watched brother and sister Kilgore, brother and sister Becton, uh, great people that that I loved very much and looked towards. And they loved God. And up until their later years, they kept the faith. They kept their faith in God. They fought the good fight. They stayed true to the doctrine of the apostles. They believed it. They, they not only believed it, they cherished it. They worshiped God in the beauty of holiness as a oneness believer. And they were concerned. They were concerned that this next generation should get this properly. They took great pains. They, they wrote literature. They, they preached messages. They earnestly contended for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. <clears throat> I remember years ago at Christmas time, we would go to St. Louis uh, to the UPCI headquarters. And we were kids and all of us kids were there and just kind of just we were bored. We had we had had a little Christmas time. We had had dinner. We had spent family time. We had sung songs, and the adults were now all sitting around talking till late into the night and into the early morning hours. And you know, 
we were 10, 11, 12, and it was me and Kristen and Joel and Don and Urshana, and those are our cousins, um, and Rolanda and, and just family that we love very much. We, um, we got bored, and we went and snuck Grandpa Urshan's keys off his off of his key ring, his key hook that he put the keys on. And we found the keys to the Pentecostal publishing house. <laughs> For anybody that was a employee back then, I apologize. We were just mischievous little kids and we didn't have much to do. And we snuck into that Pentecostal publishing house. And when we opened that door, there was, I don't know, six, seven, eight of us. <clears throat> we would walk through the labyrinth of, of stacks of, crates of books, Sunday school books and literature and PIM statements and just you name it, just all kinds of good material that was being sent around the world. And to children, it was magical. It was a fantastic adventure. And we would run and play and hide and seek through those dark corridors, shrieking and laughing into the early morning hours. And, um, oh, I found a forklift and I got to fool around with that forklift and lifted the forks up and down. It's a wonder I didn't die and hurt somebody, hurt myself and God help us. I would kill my kids if they did that today. They're too old for it anyway, but, but it was, it was amazing as a child to go through that, not knowing that I was running across literature that great men, great women had written that was going to be dispersed around the world, that Pentecostals and apostolics worldwide we're going to benefit from that preach the doctrine and the gospel. They they were concerned about this message, getting to every remote corner of the world, reaching every nation with Bible salvation. Hugh Rose would say that. It's harvest time. And he would he would he would say that. And it was a it was a good time in my life. But that generation felt that way. They were concerned about that. They had a fear of God, a reverence of God. <clears throat> At conferences, they would go down to the front and they would pray. And they would hold, hold hands and, 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 and link arms and pray and, and intercede before God. These were pioneers that would lift up their hands and lift up their voices. They worked towards a common cause. It was before success. It was before you know, a lot of uh, natural increase had come. And, and even in their advanced years, you know, hearkening back to their younger days when they were up coming and struggling and trying to make it, they would just go down and just worship God and love God. And um, there was a fear of God there, a fear of the Lord. And so that was instilled in us at a young age. We, we, we had a fear of the Lord, um, not a terror as though we're going to be destroyed or God wanted to smite us or was a God of wrath, but just a healthy reverence that every word that I say, every action that I undertake, I'm going to stand before a holy God. I'm going to give account for that. And, and there is a hell. And, and there is a heaven. They used to say there's a, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And it was important that we, I remember as a child, I would pray at night and I would say, God, forgive me of all my sins. Wash my heart, purify me, and, and prepare my heart. If I die while I'm asleep, God, I pray that my heart would be right before you and that you would take me with you. 
I want to go to heaven. If, if, if the trumpet sounds tonight, I, I pray that you'll take me with you. And I would pray that each night. And I would want God to cleanse my heart and prepare me. I, and the, the, the amazing thing is I still pray that. I, I want God to look upon me with loving kindness and tender mercy. And I, 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 I yearn for his approval. Somebody talked about seeking the face of the Lord one time, seeking the face of the Lord. He has a Bible term. And, and I heard one, one great preacher say to me one time, seeking the face of the Lord is like unto, it's akin to a child who reaches to its father's face or its mother's face. And it, it, in an attempt to pull the attention of their, their beloved parent to them. Look at me, daddy. Look at me, mommy. And to pull the, the face of, and the attention and the gaze of the one that they love to them, seeking his face and those little hands reaching to the face of the father or the mother to seek the face of God, to seek the attention of God. And so phrases like look upon me, O God, um, and incline thine ear unto me. These phrases are all David's attempt to, to seek after God, to feel after God. And it's, an, it's indicative of the fear of the Lord, a reverence. I, I can remember when I did things that were wrong, I just knew I was going to die and go to hell. Not in a terror-stricken way, but in a I don't want to miss heaven kind of a way. I don't want to miss out with God kind of a way. And if somebody said something or was watching something that was wrong or saying something that was bad, I just knew something was going to happen. Lightning was going to strike from somewhere. And so there is that, that fear of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> when you come into life and you begin to grow and you, you grow into adulthood and you, you leave your adolescence and you leave your childhood, there is a hardening. There's a jadedness. And just because judgment isn't immediate, people become set in their ways. And one writer said it this way, because sentence was not executed speedily, the hearts of men were fully set to do evil. So just because you didn't get caught the first time or the second time or the tenth time or the hundredth or thousandth time, it doesn't mean that the wheels of justice aren't turning. The wheels of justice are turning inexorably completely, steadfastly, and they will catch up to a person, whether for good or for bad. Judgment doesn't have to be bad. Judgment can be very good. I want him to judge me well done, good and faithful. But I also know that I could be judged wicked and slothful. And so I know that. Why, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, I think if you take away the fear of the Lord, you set in motion something very terrible. You can actually, and I was talking to a young lady. She was a, um, she was a lesbian and she wanted to talk to me about God and why I believed in God and, and how could I believe in a God that, that could, uh, exclude people and, <clears throat> and could be mean to people that those were, that was the way she framed it. And my response to her was, you know, honey, God's not mean. God is just. And his love is unfathomable. He loves us far more than we could ever love ourselves. And his love is amazing so much that he gave his life for us. And he gives us 
a kind of a relationship between a man and a woman that is the only kind of relationship he'll bless. It is the only sanctioned, intimate relationship, covenantal relationship. So not man with man, woman with woman, or any other kind of relationship, or or people who are unmarried, or people who are married to other people in an adulterous relationship. God will not bless any union except a man and woman in covenant. And so it's not that he's picking on people, it's that, or, or he's excluding people, or he's evil, or he's capricious. It is because he will only bless this, this, this format. This is how he created it. It is his design. And, and so we, we, we talked, and, and she hadn't quite heard it that way before, and I was happy to share it with her because God loves her, and he loves people. He wants them to, to be conformed to his image and to turn away from any other way that is not like unto him. And in there, she was saying, why should we believe the Bible? Why in the world should we ever believe the Bible? It's an old book. It's outdated. It's old-fashioned. It, it won't let us do anything. And I, I, I remember being grieved in my spirit listening to her talk because she was spouting a rhetoric that came from you know, a secular university, a, a very jaded uh, liberal arts um, perspective that, that is being pumped into our young adults and our young people. And it, it is destroying the fear of God. It is trivializing sexuality. It is reducing it to, to just a very casual approach. And you're losing the sanctity. You're losing the covenantal dynamic of it. And, and you're unleashing a chaos on the world when you do that. Sexuality is only to be done between a man and a woman in a covenantal relationship in marriage. And so <clears throat> she asked why the Bible was important. Why, why does there have to be a God? Well, and, and, and when we lose the fear of God, there's, it can be traced. The, the worst regimes, the state regimes that, that committed the worst atrocities had no fear of God. If there is no judge, if there is no God that we answer to, and Darwin played a role in setting the stage for fascism. Darwin, when he came up with the survival of the fittest and and natural selection, he set in motion an ideology that Adolf Hitler seized upon. And that is that if there's a weaker um, group and there's a stronger group, the stronger group should win. And they will outcompete the other group over millions and millions of years. Well, Hitler's idea was, why wait for millions of years? We can hasten the process. We can speed up the process, <clears throat> and that's where the gas chambers, and that's where Dachau and Auschwitz and and, and, the, and the horrible atrocities that that were part of the death camps of of, of uh, Nazi Germany came into being. So, if there's no God that I answer to, if there is no fear of God. If there is no reverence, and, and, and then people who are made in the image of God. You know, the greatest commandments are, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you'll love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second commandment is like it, and that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the first murder in the scripture is, you know, the question was asked, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. 
You, you are to love your brother as you love yourself. He is made in the image of God. She is made in the image of God. And if you remove that from a people, then you reduce them to a bestial state, to an animal state. And in an animal state, the weak are not protected. They are exploited. They are preyed upon. They are consumed. In the animal world, the powerful and the strong and the and the, the aggressive win. But in the kingdom of God, the meek shall inherit the earth. And by the way, this is another podcast for another day, but that word meek there does not mean backwards and shy. It means a person who harnesses their appetites and their desires for the greater good. Those people will inherit the kingdom of God. A man or a woman that can bridle their carnal self, their lower nature, they will dominate. They will take over the world. They're not a slave to their passions and their lusts. And so the meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. But an animal bestial mindset has no fear of God, is not concerned about consequences, is not concerned about tomorrow. And so the fear of the Lord is instilled in us that there is a God and that men and women are made in his image. <clears throat> the criminal justice system is, is set up with the idea of the fear of the Lord intrinsic in it, woven throughout it. The, the police, the forensic uh, pathologists, they will go to great lengths. They will, they will bring out scuba divers. They will, they'll bring out uh, cadaver dogs. They will, they will use ground-penetrating radar when they're trying to find a body that they suspect has, there's been foul play. The reason why is the, at the root of that is that man is made in the image of God. And it is a, it is a horrific affront it is a terrible thing to take a human life unjustly. At the root of all of that is the idea that man is made in the image of God, the sanctity of human life. And that all stems from the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, I want to say verse 7. Verse 7, yes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. <clears throat> so, Early on in my ministry, I, I dealt with people. Um, at one time, there were some young men that I dealt with who they did not have fathers. They were fatherless. They were raised in single-parent homes. And I became a kind of father figure for them. And we would, we would uh, talk about the things of God. I would work with them. I, I would help them, strengthen them, encourage them. I, I would... Uh, lead them, raise them, and be firm with them when when their base nature would try to rise up and they would make mistakes and make terrible decisions. And the Lord blessed that. The Lord kept them for a period of time. But somewhere along the way, a few of them made the decision, I don't like this, I don't like these rules, these rules are silly, they're stupid, I don't need these rules. And so... I'm going to cast this off. And, and this happens, uh, you'll find it in Psalms chapter 2. Um, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? They take counsel against the Lord and against, against his anointed. They, they say, let us cast their bands and their cords from us, cast them asunder. To throw off restraint, to throw off the fear of the Lord, to throw off self-control, to throw caution to the wind, to transgress the commandments of God. 
because they're viewed as impediments. They're viewed as unnecessary. They're viewed as old fashioned and we don't need this. We want what we want and we like what we like and we'll do what we want, smoke what we want, run around and do whatever, however, whenever, with whoever. And I watched them destroy their lives. Those that held firm to the things of God, I watched the blessing of the Lord grow exponentially. <clears throat> it grew into marriage. It grew into stable home life. It, it, it grew into families and children and financial success. And I watched those that threw it away. And I watched them throw away the fear of God. They fell back into old patterns and old traits. Many of them were arrested, put in prison. Um, some of them were killed. Um, just, it, it, it stunned me. And, and I, I learned such a valuable lesson. And I've seen that my whole life. Even from my teens, I have seen people who have cast off what they thought were meaningless restrictions, not knowing that it was the fear of the Lord. It was the things of God. And, and it takes 20 years, 30 years for them to figure it out, that the chaos and the lawlessness and the transgression and the iniquity <clears throat> that accompanies living in sin, it doesn't pay off. It inevitably leads to divorce. It leads to addictions. It leads to uh, terrible, terrible repercussions and circumstances. And I watch as Satan gets a hold of people's lives and rends them and tears them. And now, many times, years later, they will come back and they'll say, how do you do what you do? How did your brother do what he did? How did your sister do it? And, and this person and that person that stayed faithful to God, how did they, you know, we thought you were boring. We thought you were just a goody two-shoes. And and it wasn't any of that. And we weren't perfect. We had, you know, flaws and, and failures and just like anybody. But there was always this returning back to the fear of the Lord. And so it's the beginning of knowledge. And in that we see a this idea of, think of it as the lowest rung on a ladder. Jacob's ladder, if you will. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And you're going to begin this journey, this voyage into the purpose of God, and you're going to climb, you're going to ascend up higher above your base nature. And the Bible is filled with these kinds of ideas. For instance, <clears throat> Abraham, when he went to Abimelech and, and Abimelech wanted to take Sarah and Abraham was afraid to say that she was his wife. So he said, you know, I'm going to say you're my sister. Here's what the Bible says about that in Genesis 20 verse 11. Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. So Abraham knew he was entering into a lawless place where there was no rule of law. Men did not fear God. And so as such, they would just murder him and take his wife. So he was trying to find a way to skate through that and not trust in the Lord. And God delivered him from that. But over and over and over, the Bible says that God would bring the fear of Deuteronomy 2 and 25. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven. Who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. That was you know, spoken to Israel. So God put a fear and a dread upon them. We see this in the story of Gideon when they come to the camp, God had given the Midianites a dream and they trembled. And, and the reason they woke up in such a, a disarray and were discomfited and put to, to chaos when Gideon blew the trumpet and smashed the pitcher and the light shone forth was because they had already been conditioned by the fear of the Lord that 
that there was a dread that was coming and, and God was going to deal with them. Um, we see it with Jericho when Rahab brings in the spies and she said, we know you're coming. We, we, the people of the city, there's a fear, there's a dread upon them. They know that your God's humbled all of Egypt and, and there's this reverence and this fear and we don't know what's going to happen. And that God had already set that in motion. Well, <clears throat> from a godly perspective, it's a, you know, from, from the right side of God, the fear of the Lord is a, is a reverence. It's, a, it's an awe of his power. I never cease to be amazed at the wisdom and power of God. There are things that happened this week. I wish I had the time uh, just to tell you a little bit about some of the things that happened, miracles that happened. I know of a veteran preacher this week that had a heart attack. The church prayed for him, and God healed him within 24 hours. They released him from the hospital. They said, we don't know what happened. But whatever that heart attack was that we saw happening when you wheeled in here into the emergency room, it's all gone and all trauma and all damage to your heart has disappeared too. What, what, a, what an awe-inspiring God that can heal like that. That happened this week in the last seven days. Um, and blessings that were poured out, amazing blessings. So from the right side of God, there is a, a profound awe and a, a trembling before God and I don't want to lose out with God. I want God to be pleased with me. I want to humbly approach him like Esther approached Ahasuerus. She would approach him, kneeled over and, and bent over and approaching him, and then he would extend the scepter and allow her to come close. And I want God to, to receive me and to receive my praise. From a negative side, when you rebel against God and you're on the wrong side of God, then whenever you see God's people, there'll be a, a fear there'll be a dread. The Bible talked about a savor that is unto life and a savor that is unto death. So to, to the people that are living for God, it's a wonderful expression of covenant and favor from God, and it's a wonderful savor. But to the those that have rejected it and rebelled, and they always think we're judging them. They think that we are looking down on them. Oh, you think you're more holy than I am. And Oh, you're, you're so, some big thing. I don't want to be around you because I feel condemned when I'm around you. You know, the Bible talks about when we reject God and we, we, we trample underfoot the sacrifices of God and <clears throat> we crucify him afresh and put him to an open shame, there remains nothing left but a fearful looking for judgment. There is a fearful looking for judgment and, and, and an impending doom that's coming because People know when they're not right with God. And if you are not right with God, if your heart is not right with God, and you're listening to me today, take this message from this preacher, from this podcast, and get your heart right right now. Stop what you're doing. Take a moment and call on the name of Jesus. God will hear you. He will help you. You are not so far gone that God can't reach you. If, if you have breath in your lungs, you are a candidate for heaven. You are made in the image of God, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So take the moment to seize the day. The Bible says, while it's called today, if you will hear his voice, his voice hearken um, unto his voice. And let that fear of God keep you and sustain you. So there is a, a regenerative work and regeneration is very different than degeneration. In the church and in the Holy Ghost, it is the only place in the cosmos where 
things get better. In a fallen world, in a world of entropy, things go from order to disorder. They go from order to chaos. <clears throat> so, you know, metals rust, they, they oxidize, bodies deteriorate, cartilage breaks down, um, mold grows, uh, the plant life takes over, cellular decay begins to, to be the norm. We, we, we live in a state of entropy in this world. And that is a degenerative state. Things go from order to disorder. That is the natural world. It is only in the Holy Ghost that you enter into a regenerative state. It is the only place in the cosmos that you can get on the bottom rung of the ladder and begin to climb upwards. And so every day that you pray through, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You let God saturate you, baptize your mind, baptize your heart. You rejoice in the Lord. Then you are entering into a regenerative, worshipful state that makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus and you renew yourself in your spirit, in your mind, and, and, and he restores to you the joy of your salvation. And if you'll do that on a daily basis, you will regenerate and you'll regenerate. And your inward man is renewed day by day, though your outward man perishes. That's what the writer said. But the world's not like that. The world degenerates. And so... When people lose precious truth, when they lose their grip when on the things of God, um, the Bible says, lest at any time we should let these words slip, let us give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, people neglect it. They stop praying. They stop reading their Bible. They stop listening to the prophets and the, and the, the preachers and the sages, and they start listening to alternate voices, denominal voices, denominal voices that don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't have the illumination of the Spirit. They begin to minimize the Holy Ghost. They begin to work against the book of Acts church. They begin to come against the core tenets of the oneness of God and holiness unto God. And when they do, they begin to degenerate, and you mark it down Look at the lives of the people. You know, Paul told us to, uh, he said, whose faith follow? You know, I want to follow after the things of God and, and follow me as I follow Christ. I want to follow after godly people and people who lived their lives and sacrificed and gave and, and God blessed them as a result. And I'm following that blessing. Well, I watch people, preachers and, and so-called scholars that they get their doctorate and they allow higher education to seduce them and they give up beautiful teachings. They, they, they compromise. They, they lose worship. They, and, and there's actually a very clear form, a, a, a formula that describes this. So if you know anybody that falls into this category, send them this video. Share this link with them. Because this is an old game, guys. This is not a new thing. If, if you begin a path of degeneracy. And I guess before I say that, I should even touch in on the etymology there. That word regenerate and degenerate, one means to grow better, one means to grow worse, one means to go up, one means to go down, go from order, and the other goes to disorder. The root of that is gen, G-E-N, and it's, it, it's the idea of life. It's the idea of beginnings, <clears throat> it's the same root that's in Genesis, etymologically speaking. It is, it's in gene, genetic genes. And 
a generator, you know, something that generates power. It starts power. It begins power. A generation. So all of that has to do with genetics. It gets down into the DNA. It gets down into who we are as individuals. Well, to, to regenerate means to recreate life or to rebegin something anew. To degenerate means to lose it and to, to, to fall apart and to decompose. There is an example of degeneration. It's found in Romans chapter 1. And I just preached this at the San Jose camp meeting, and it, it bears repeating. Because people who lose out with God, they backslide. They compromise. They, they stop living holy. They stop dressing holy. They lose outward holiness. Um, they lose inward holiness. They, they inevitably will compromise oneness of God. They will compromise the new birth, Acts 2.38, John 3.5. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That's step one. That is the first step on the rung downward. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So you will find that one of the first things people do <clears throat> is that when they go to church, when they go to worship, they don't glorify him. It becomes ho-hum. It becomes commonplace. It becomes just a meaningless exercise. They go through the motions. They fold their arms. They sit quiet. They glorified him not as God. And so you can poke fun. You can laugh. You can call us uneducated. You can call us unsophisticated, superstitious, whatever. You know, accuse us of dancing tribally around a fire if you want to. I don't care. I'm dancing like David danced. I'm worshiping like David worshiped. I am living in the tabernacle of David. I am a day of Pentecost tongue talker from the top of my head down to my feet. And I, I love it. Every apostle did it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, did it. The whole book of Acts did it. And it's the only way you're getting to heaven, brother. So you remember that, that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, for the Father is a spirit. And he is searching for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. The first thing people will do is they will stop that. They'll become too, too sophisticated. They'll make enough money to where they don't think they need to worship. Or they'll become lukewarm in their prayer. And they'll become lukewarm and complacent in their life. They stop reading the Bible. They stop praying. A, a, most backsliding just comes from a lack of effort. You just give up. You stop paying the price. You stop putting in the time. You stop, it's like any relationship. If you stop talking to your spouse, talking to your husband or your wife, your relationship will fall apart. And if you stop talking to God and spending time with God, your relationship will fall apart. So when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And then the next rung down on that ladder, neither were thankful. If we lose our thanksgiving, Boy, we're living in an unthankful generation. And, and, and thanksgiving is part of entering into the presence of God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That is a command. So open your mouth and emote and express and get loud. Have church. Have an apostolic outpouring. I mean, if you get a whole room full of people entering into his gates with thanksgiving, you will have a Holy Ghost explosion. Don't you leave it up to the sports venues and don't leave it up to the, to the entertainment stadiums and the ball fields to, to lift their voice and shout to the gods that can't heal and can't deliver. But you come to church and you glorify God and lift up your voice and let the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that can heal and that did shed his blood for you. Man, I'm preaching. 
I didn't mean to start preaching, but man, I get excited about it because they lose their thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is such an integral part of approaching God. The Bible says they became vain in their imagination. So their their mind gets the better of them, their thoughts get the better of them, their imagination takes off. And the Bible says their foolish heart was darkened. So it's such a sad thing. I've seen people's hearts darken. I've seen people whose eyes used to light up in the presence of God and weep in the presence of God. I've seen them grow dim. Jesus told us to let our eye be single. And if our eye is single, if our focus is singular, then our body will be full of light. But if our eye is not single, then our body will be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. People learn so much that you can't tell them anything. They, you, you can't speak to them. They won't receive it. They, they get offended if you say things to them. They are so proud. They are so lifted up. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then the Bible says that they begin to change the glory of God into an image made like two corruptible men, four-footed beasts, creeping things. Men with men, the Bible says, they begin to work that which is unseemly, and even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, the Bible says. Um, When they did not want to retain God in their knowledge that God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that, that could not be worked with, a mind that would not yield itself to the presence of God. And so this, this, this degeneracy, this falling apart, this loss of the fear of God, and the Bible describes it. You'll find it in Romans chapter 3. I can remember as a teenager memorizing this chapter for for Bible quizzing, Romans chapter 3, verse 11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then it gives the traits of those people. And, and so when you're with people that are like this, when you're on your job and this is how they are, and when you're with family and this is how they are, or maybe this is you, maybe you find these traits in yourself, this is the trait and the characteristic of an ungodly person. And I don't want this to be who I am. I strive to not allow this into my heart and my life. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So if someone is cursing every other moment and there's bitterness that just pours out of them, there's something dead on the inside. Their feet are swift to shed blood. So they're ready to fight. They're ready to be violent at any moment. Destruction and misery. It's not just destruction. It's not just tearing everything apart, everything falling apart, but it's also misery. There's a misery that accompanies that. It's, they are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> there is no fear of God before their eyes. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And no fear of God is the end of the wicked and the foolish. It's two ladders and two different directions that we are either ascending or descending. You don't have to know every mystery to begin to climb the ladder. Just begin at the fear of the Lord and God will begin to add to that and, and, and you'll grow with that. The fear of the Lord will eventually become the love of God and, and you'll find that there's a wholeness that comes with that. And a loss of the fear of God is a loss of the blessing of God and to lose confidence in him and ultimately to become faithless to lose confidence in the Bible, to lose confidence in the church, and then you become a law to yourself. Then there is no Bible. And you may give lip service to the idea that there's a God, but I have found that most people who emptily proclaim that they love God are actually closet atheists. They give lip service to him, but they don't believe him. They don't believe that book. They don't take the time to read it. They don't take the time to absorb who he is and hear his voice in the scriptures and then how it applies in their modern day life. So the fear of the Lord, what a powerful keeping, sustaining force as childish, as childish as it may seem. I still believe he's the strongest. I still believe prayer works. Preaching stirs me and moves me just like it did when I was a youth. I love it with all of my heart. I don't apologize for it. I'll never lose it. I'm going to keep the fear of the Lord. So, if you have more to add to that, I'm happy to to take take your messages and to look into it. I hope it helps you. I hope it strengthens you. I think that the future is very bright for people that will humble themselves before God and look to Him. He'll give them favor and He'll bless them. The fear of the Lord. Thank you for your time. I'm glad that you could be with us today. I hope it was a blessing. Keep your comments and your suggestions uh, coming. I look forward to reading them and connecting with you. Uh, Shoot me a message on Twitter, N-A-Urshan at Twitter, and um, let's connect. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll dialogue and we'll just see what happens. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you next time.